Good morning and welcome to all of you here this morning. Good to have visitors with us this morning. We welcome you. And good to have some who've been away for a while because of sickness, and here they are. <laughs> Great to have you. And welcome to those on Zoom joining us there as well. We're thankful to have Kirk Sinclair with us this morning. He will be coming now to read the scripture and to lead us in prayer, if you would, Kirk, please. Good morning and welcome to our morning worship service. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. The theme of the message today is ingratitude, the sin of ingratitude. So we'll be looking at the, a very limited passage in Luke 17, beginning at verse 11. We're going to read from verse 11 down to verse 19. So once again, Luke 17, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, he being Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, it is indeed a privilege to be gathered with your people. And every time we turn to your open word, we anticipate a blessing that your Holy Spirit may impart to us from your word. Wisdom to live by. Wisdom that teaches about you and what your expectation is of us. And Father, we pray that this morning as we look at ingratitude, that there would be uh, indeed a, uh, an understanding of the missing that is in this short passage. But also for us to look at gratitude in general in, in our lives and re returning thanks to the blessing that that you have given us, the comprehensive blessing that we enjoy. And so, Lord, we, we pray that as we look at this this morning, our hearts would be impacted by it. Father, we, uh, we thank you that uh, there are many missionaries in this world that are bringing the word of the gospel to many different people. And we pray, Lord, that, that those who are active in the ministry of the word, that Hearts would be prepared to hear that message. And Lord, we prepare, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would impact the hearts of those that receive the message that they may turn and believe. Our desire, Lord, in, in our obedience to you in the Great Commission is that we make disciples and that those disciples would be added to our group so that more and more of us would be um, 
calling upon you as our God. And more and more of us would be expressing that joy when we come together and worship. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would find us attentive, ready to receive a serving of your word to each one of our hearts. We ask, Lord, that your name be glorified in our midst. For Jesus' sake, amen. Again, we want to welcome our brother, Kurt. The Lord bless as you open the word to us. Okay, thank you, Rael, and good morning to all of you again. Nice to see everybody. So our subject is the sin of ingratitude, and we're, we're in Luke chapter 17, a short passage, which there are really no challenges to the understanding of this passage. And when we talk about gratitude for a Christian, it's, uh, it's something that is part of the life of faith. So in the sense, we're not dealing with any, anything complex as far as doctrine today. And also, in a sense, I'm using your watch to tell you what time it is. Because as Christians, we are thankful people. Gratitude is woven into the life of faith. And it's something that we should demonstrate every day in our life as we're walking in faith and trusting in the Lord. Let's, uh, let's submit to the Lord in prayer and then we can roll up our sleeves and get into this passage. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded of your gracious outpouring uh, in the lives of those who are trusting in you, having at one time been outside of faith by a, a mysterious act of your grace, you opened our eyes. And we see for the first time, Lord, the, uh, uh, we see that we have been adopted from this world and we are your people. And Father, having now uh, inherited by faith those promises to which your heirs are entitled, those promises being the gift of eternal life, but also the indwelling spirit. And we make our petition now that your Spirit would open your word to us, being the only true teacher of these spiritual things, and that we as students of, of the word, uh, we desire to be perfected in our inner man through the application of your word. And we know that we can't be successful unless we are ministered to by your Holy Spirit. So we ask, Lord, that we come yielded and ready to be taught. And Lord, we we wish to be reminded of our duty to, to, uh, to live a life filled with gratitude and great joy as well. And so we ask, Lord, that you would undertake for us now to suit a blessing to every heart that, that attends upon this message this morning. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'll just make a few statements about what we're going to be talking about and then we'll, we'll get into... Uh, into the message. But one thing that is uh, very much uh, out front here is in the healing of the 10 lepers today, uh, the attitude of these men and their response to Jesus for the healing is most inappropriate. They received a healing. They did not give thanks to the Lord. And the immediate application for those that are trusting in the Lord and I assume that that's a majority of those that are here today, is that there is a danger for us to become complacent uh, believers. 
And complacent believers find themselves slipping into an attitude of ungratefulness to God. And so the subject of our message today is not simply ingratitude, but ingratitude toward God. And so for this reason, especially because of the complacency that that we tend to slip into being human beings, uh, we're going to look at God's warnings against ingratitude. um, And then we're going to consider also why gratitude toward God is both proper and necessary in this life of faith, day by day. And so I, I trust that all of us that are here today can derive some benefit from what we're talking about here. And so first we're going to talk about, we're going to look at the passage, we're going to do an exposition of it, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit about some of the cultural details pertaining to both this disease of leprosy and also this group of people called the Samaritans because, because our account today, as simple as it is, touches on these two things. So it's interesting to note right off the bat that this account that we're reading and studying today is only found in Luke's gospel out of the four gospels. And we read right away that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And uh, he was called to by a group of 10 lepers. So immediately I'm going to segue into a bit of a section here that gives us a little bit of background about leprosy and, and how it's different from leprosy today. And some of the, the ceremonial issues, uh, issues of defilement, etc., that, that, uh, that accompanied this disease. Now leprosy was common at the time of Christ. You would almost think there was more lepers there so that Jesus could heal them. But uh, it was... Leprosy was considered by the Jews to be a smiting of God, the punishment of God for some particular sin. That was the knee-jerk reaction. If they saw someone suffering from leprosy, they immediately assumed that he had offended God or someone in his family. And this is not, not necessarily correct. And uh, Jesus corrects, corrects them uh, uh, several times about uh, the cause and effect of afflictions like, uh, like leprosy. Now, it's symptoms are covered in the ceremonial section of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 13. It will tell you all about uh, how a priest would take and diagnose the condition of someone. Uh, The idea was that if you suspected that you had leprosy, you would go and you would show yourself to the priest and the priest would look at, he would look at your bobo and he would tell you if your bobo is a certain color, then you would need to to be uh, isolated And if your bobo gets worse, then it's leprosy and he declares this and then you become a leper. And once you're you're a leper, then then you are cast out of society. You are unclean. And uh, now in the occasion that you uh, are healed or uh, or you recover, then the same thing takes place. You you go to the priest, you show your your, uh, arm or leg or or wherever you were affected, and he has to make another pronouncement. The priests were God's doctors, I guess, in a sense, and they made the call as to whether someone was was uh, afflicted or not afflicted. And uh, biblical leprosy is not the same as modern leprosy. Uh, modern leprosy, I believe, if I 
if I'm not mistaken, is now called Hansen, Hansen's disease. And, but back in biblical times, leprosy was a generic term that described a group of afflictions of the skin. And so it was not necessarily uh, as serious a condition as Hansen's disease it was in our day. Uh, I neglected to mention that, that the cleansing rituals are, are found in Leviticus 14. So where the, the nature of leprosy and, and the symptoms, etc., are covered in Leviticus 13, the cleansing ritual, which is also quite involved, is found in Leviticus 14. Now, the Hebrew word for leprosy means to strike down or to scourge. So we can see here that even the definition of the word itself uh, gives the feeling that, that uh, someone was an object of God's wrath. But that's, that's uh, just the general way that the, the Jews thought about it. So objects or houses could also have leprosy, but again, this is probably some form of mold or fungus, uh, fungus growth. And if the uh, leprosy on an object could not be removed, the object was destroyed to prevent its spread. All right, so Jesus is, is, is being uh, called to uh, from a distance. Uh, verse 12 says that they stood afar off. And uh, they stood afar off because it was required by law. And uh, the law is uh, very specific about the way that uh, lepers are to conduct themselves. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 reads, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And that's, that's to, so that he can be visibly marked as being one who was afflicted. He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp, outside the camp, removed from being uh, able to infect others. And so since lepers were unclean, they were unwelcome at the temple or in society, but they lived in colonies away from others. And so they sought uh, comfort from others that were afflicted the same way. And typically it's uh, unless there was a healer or some way of them to be healed, they would, they would live the rest of their lives in, uh, in that colony. And they sought Jesus for mercy, hoping to be cured. And uh, verse 14 tells us that Jesus responds without delay, commanding them to show themselves to a priest. And uh, this is normally something that someone who has, only a person who has recovered would do. Well, the first time they, they, they did uh, go to see a priest, they would, they would be there for the diagnosis. And then once they were pronounced unclean as a leper, then they would be... Uh, off to the to 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 live in isolation, but but if they were cleaned or healed, then they were to show themselves to the priest. And so Jesus responds right away, telling them to go and show themselves to the priest. And what happens? Well, as they went, they saw that they had been healed, and they were free of the disease. And of course, being free of the disease, uh, they were no longer defiled. And, uh, and this is very important because now they could re-enter society and they could enter the temple and freely worship the Lord with the others. But a most curious thing happens. And one out of the group of 10 who had been healed 
return to Jesus to thank and to worship him. And of all things, he was a Samaritan. What about the Samaritans? Well, Samaritans were foreigners and they were despised. And just like there was some misunderstandings of the disease of leprosy, well, these peoples, the Samaritans, were, were set apart. And for those that uh, like to dig, the Bereans among us who uh, always have an open Bible in front of them, uh, if you want to look up the background of Samaria, 1 Kings 16.24 will, uh, will give you that. That reads uh, this way. He bought the hill of Samaria. And this is King Omri. King Omri. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer or Shemer for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city, which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. All right. And once that was, uh, was built, it became the capital of the Northern kingdom or Ephraim. Israel being in the North part of the kingdom. And of course, Judah and Benjamin and the priests would form the Southern kingdom centered in Jerusalem. So after Israel was defeated by Assyria and went into captivity, the land was repopulated with conquered peoples from other nations. And these conquered people, they worshiped God, but they they did that for show while they continued to worship and serve their own idols. And so they were hypocritical in their worship. And, uh, And of course, people could see this and they were their origins were from several different nations as well. And tensions were further aggravated by the building of a temple at Mount Gerizim that became a a rival temple to the one at Jerusalem. Now the Jews, they despised the Samaritans, not even mentioning the name Samaritan, except as an object of derision. And, uh, John 8:48 tells us uh, gives us an example of that the Jews answered and said to him this is to Jesus did we not say rightly that you are a samaritan and have a demon so that's an example of the use of the word samaritan as being a, a derogatory term so according to the Jews a samaritan was a foreigner and and he was a hypocrite and so for for the Jews even going through samaria was you would pick up defilement. And so the idea was that if you had uh, control over the path that you took and you, you were traveling, and uh, you would walk around Samaria. And if you happened to step in Samaria, then you had to make sure that you shook the dust off your feet before you proceeded because you were defiled. And this is the attitude that prevailed around the time of Christ. And so, uh, so we see here, that when, when we read that this man who thanked Christ was a Samaritan, we see it's unusual because here's one of those despised ones. Here's one of those half-breeds that, that uh, is hypocritical. Uh, he came and, and he did the right thing. Now that just tells us that sometimes the most unlikely persons respond in faith. And so uh, let me just read the rest of, uh, of this section here, starting in verse 17. So Jesus answered and he said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not found any, or were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, and he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
So Jesus mentioned that there were nine others healed who had not returned to give thanks. And so, uh, and so we see this disturbing result. Jesus with his gracious healing, calling out, healing the 10 lepers and only one of them returning to give thanks. You know, when we think of 10% being the Lord's portion, we're usually thinking of something else. But here, one man in 10 returns to give thanks. So the kindness of Jesus's healing was slighted by ingratitude. And perhaps we can see from this that not many who receive blessings ever pause to give thanks to the Lord. And verse 19, uh, Jesus says, your faith has made you well, which is a curious thing for Jesus to say. He said it a few times through, through the Gospels. Now, well is a, is a word that was translated to English from the Greek word sozo, uh, which means to save or to deliver. So if you take those words, save or deliver, and, and substitute it for well, then we could understand Jesus telling the man, your faith has, has saved you or delivered you. And uh, that's an interesting way to, to look at it because we see that, that salvation is a healing in itself as well. So the beautiful thing about, about uh, one being, one can be healed and not saved. So if, if someone is, is believing and he is blessed by the Lord, then uh, the healing of Jesus can also save the soul as well because of his faith. So we can be healed, and, but unless gratitude is part of our nature, we cannot be saved or delivered. And remember, faith is a gift from God, and so is uh, this gratitude as part of our nature. So that's really what the verse, what the, what the passage tells us now. And so it's a very simple passage that highlights the, uh, the gratitude of one of the 10 and the ingratitude of the others. And you might be able to, when you replay the event in your minds, as the 10 were walking, uh, they began to notice that they were healed. And you can imagine that a, a conversation took place between, uh, between any two of them or more saying, you know, we're healed now. You know, let's go to the priest. And, and perhaps the one that went back to Jesus, is, he said to them, I'm going back to Jesus to thank him for what he did. Would you guys like to join me? And he was probably met with some kind of refusal at that point. And so, so this, this just tells me that uh, there, there must have been some kind of a dialogue there. And, and we see the absurdity of of ingratitude there. And unfortunately, we have as a, as a good part of our, our scripture, all through the history of, of uh, Israel, this legacy of ingratitude. And just as an example, I'm going to read uh, verse 16, uh, the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, verses 1 to 15 and 22. And you don't really need to turn there, but follow along in my words here and you can, you can see the mental picture that's being communicated here. Ezekiel 16.1, Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. 
Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field where, when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. Verse 6. And, and so that's the starting point for the nation of Israel, abandoned in a field. Verse 6. Enter the Lord in his compassion. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew and you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked on you, indeed your time was come for love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and I entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. Verse nine, then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered, in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen silk and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. And then verse 15, but you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. And then verse 22, And in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, struggling in your blood. And so whenever you see the word remember, it should, be, it should suggest to you thank, thankfulness. When God wants us to remember something, that he's done for us, it's to remember for the sake of, of gratitude. So here we have the, uh, a bit of the history of Israel and what God did for Israel upon finding her abandoned. And it's quite, quite a story of, uh, of compassion. I have an illustration for you here. In Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift gives us his opinion of ingratitude to friends and benefactors when he thus describes the laws of the Lilliputians. Ingratitude is reckoned among them a capital crime. And they reason this way, that whoever makes ill return to his benefactors must needs be a common enemy to the rest of mankind from whom he hath received no obligation. And therefore, such a man is not fit to live. Though severe, the reasoning is sound. If a man does ill to one who has helped him, how much more will he do to those who have not helped him in any way? 
Well, we just survived a, a pandemic and I'm sure glad it's over. Uh, I, Anne and I got sick and we kind of worked our way through it and, and we recovered. And I'm just, I'm glad that it came and it left. But we're still in another pandemic and that's a pandemic of ingratitude. And that continues strong today. And you see it in many, many circles. A businessman once said, people are ingrates. It took me 61 years to find that out. I have 175 employees, men and women. At Thanksgiving, at Thanksgiving I, sent, I sent them 175 choice turkeys. Only four thanked me. Two thanked me by notes and two said thank you when they chanced to meet me in the hall. Because of their thanklessness, I've decided never to go out of my way to be nice again. Someone has said, if you want to find gratitude, look for it in the dictionary. So we live in a pervasive culture of entitlement nowadays. And people don't want to face this, but we think we owe, that God owes us something. I don't know where this came from. This idea of thinking, I deserve this. But we can see that an ungrateful spirit shows itself in murmuring and complaining. And immediately you should make this connection that that's what the Israelites did when they were suffering in the wilderness, wasn't it? They murmured and they complained. And Moses warned Israel against this show of ingratitude. I'm going to read from Moses' warning words in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. And again, you can just listen. It'll be a little easier for you. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. This is Moses talking to Israel. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments. Remember, forget is the key word here. Forget is connected with gratitude. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and you are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth 
And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship him. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. So you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And in his prophetic words, we read that what Moses said came true. We we saw that when the people were complacent, that their love for the Lord got consumed with the, uh, the love of, of what they were enjoying, of the fruits of the land and of their prosperity. And they forgot to give gratitude to the Lord. And so our lesson, of course, is that we must beware of complacency. And that's our lesson for today because we enjoy the blessings of God perhaps without thinking of them. Many, many of us have been believers for years and we, and we have a routine where we depend on God's daily, daily blessing. And we might forget our first love uh, or we forget the days when we were in darkness and our eyes were not open. There's an imaginative story told of a day when the sun did not rise. Six o'clock came and there was no sign of dawn. At seven o'clock, there was still no ray of light. At noon, it was as black as midnight. No birds sang and only the hoot of an owl broke the silence. Then came the long black hours of the afternoon. Finally, evening arrived, but no one slept that night. Some wept, some wrung their hands in anguish. Every church was thronged with people on their knees. Thus they remained the whole night through. After that long night of terror and agony, millions of eager, tear-streaked faces were turned toward the east. When the sky began to grow red and the sun rose, there was a loud shout of joy. Millions of lips said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, because the sun had risen after one day of darkness. The very consistency of God's blessings sometimes seems to dull our gratitude. Isn't that true? The wonderful thing about the mercies of God is that they are fresh every morning and new every evening. Let us remember to be constantly thankful to our gracious God. Amen. Okay, and lastly, uh, I want to review now in our lives Now, in a practical way, the spirit of Christian gratitude, proper and necessary. What spirit should more characterize God's creatures than gratitude? We're in the business of receiving God's gracious gifts. That's what we do. We receive his blessings. We don't bring anything to the table. We just take it away. He gives us liberally from his open hand and we and we partake. So what should we more certainly look for as the mark of a Christian than gratitude? So we're going to go through some reasons here. And I I, I didn't want to run out of time because I think I will be stressed for time here. Uh, We're going to look at six reasons why our gratitude should characterize us as the people of God. First of all, ingratitude is absurd. It's absurd. Looking at Isaiah 
chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we, we read these strange, convicting words. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. We receive God's blessings, and that's what we do. God has opened our eyes and given us life from death. And so we respond with gratitude and joy. Don't forget the joy. It's, it's all part of, of living uh, as a believer is the joy of those blessings that God gives. Okay, reason number two. Well, we shouldn't be here. All men deserve death, not life. And if you've, if you've seen the, the Romans road on a pamphlet, or if you've taught it, or gone through the book of Romans, there's two key verses there that will help us. Uh, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We shouldn't be here. None of us should be here. Reason number three, ingratitude is offensive to God. It offends God. And God is offended the same way that you or I would be offended at the ingratitude of someone else. Has anybody here encountered ingratitude? And I'm thinking that probably every parent should have their hand up in the air. I was going to, I said to myself, I wouldn't say that, but. Romans 1.21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The evidence of God is all around them, and they have suppressed that truth in unrighteousness and exchanged it for a lie, and they worship the creature. Does that offend God? I think that offends God. You can offend me if you want to, but you don't want to offend God. I suppose there is many a little thing in your house that is of no great value in itself, but it was given to you by someone that was very dear to you. How much a child values that Bible that was given to her by her mother who wrote her name in it. Many a man has in his house things that an auctioneer would apprise at a very small amount, but that the owner prizes very highly because they were given to him by someone whom he greatly esteemed and who gave them to him as a token of its love, of its love. You see where I'm going with this? In like manner, look at the bread on the table of a believer as a love token from God. The Lord gave it to him. If there were on his table nothing but that bread, it would be a token of God's precious condescension in providing for his needs. Let us learn to look in this way at everything that we receive in this life. For such a view of it will sweeten it all. We will not then begin to calculate whether we have as much as others have or as much as our own whims or wishes might crave, but we will recognize that all we have comes from the hand and heart of our heavenly father. 
And that it all comes to us as a token of our Father's love. And with our Father's blessing resting upon it. As believers, we receive from God. And so we give thanks. And that's the natural the natural order. And this is what God expects. God knows that we're, we're weak in the flesh, that we need to depend on him. And when we talk about his light being a word, uh, a lamp for our feet, it's a lamp for our feet because we, we live in daily dependence on him. We need the light for our feet to see where to take the next step. God is gracious. We receive from God and we give thanks. Number four, adversity. Adversity is a part of our life. Both blessing and adversity are used by God to sanctify us. So God's good purposes are wrapped up in these adventures of life. James 1, 2-4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's desire is for you to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And he does that by bringing us through these, these trials. And then we go to God for help to get through them. That's God's design. That's God's will for us. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, uh, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you remember the book of Job? When his wife told him to curse God? That's a good verse for us today. Verse 9, then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Adversity is a part of life. Reason number five, we influence others. We're not alone in this world. We're in a community. People see the things that we do. People hear the things that we say. And they can pick up our attitudes uh, by the, the words that we choose and the expression in our face, we have to be very careful. First uh, Corinthians 15:33 says, "Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. This is that relationship. If we spend time with those that have no respect for the things of God nor a fear of God, then we may learn their habits and become unrighteous as well. Psalm 1:1 opens with. Uh, or Psalm 1 opens with the verse, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And so here it talks about those relationships that we need to steer clear of. We need to avoid. But the point that I'm making is that we have influence on one another. We want to influence people to serve God and to make full expressions of their love for God. We don't want them to skimp on that. We want them to, 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 uh, to bless others in the name of, of God. And so we influence others. Are we influencing others in a positive way? And lastly, gratitude submits to God. Gratitude submits to God. 
We, uh, in a past study, we, uh, we looked at Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I'll just remind you what it says. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord. Who else? And so we, we give thanks. And as our help, but God wants us to bring our, as our helper, God wants us to bring our petitions to him. And we meet in corporate prayer on Thursday nights and we lay our petitions at his feet. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Come, make your petition to the Lord. Gratitude is consistent with a humble approach to God because it recognizes our place. You remember when Isaiah was in the throne room of God? Do you remember what it did to him? I am undone, he said, because he saw he saw the throne room of God and he was overwhelmed by the holiness of God. Gratitude removes barriers to prayer and it allows us to approach God unhindered by unconfessed sin. Now, it could be some circumstances in your life have caused you to take action, actions which you regret, actions which hinder us when we come to the Lord. We may feel that we need to confess that to the Lord. And certainly when we do, then the barriers fall and we have communication with the Lord again. Gratitude removes barriers to prayer. And gratitude gives continual access to higher and higher blessings from the Lord. God loves a heart that's filled with gratitude. And gratitude is contagious as well. When a person knows from which the grace from which he was brought, like that parable of the little baby girl that uh, God found kicking in her own blood in the field that cleaned her up and, and uh, blessed her with every form of blessing that we can imagine. Well, that's you and me. That's you and me. And the blessings that we're adorned with are the blessings that are described in the book of Ephesians that talks about every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies uh, that is available to us. Blessings which we uh, don't have the capacity to really understand in many cases. But the great hope for us is that we go to be in the presence of God for eternity. And that's, that's all we need. The sufficiency of God will carry us through. We must, our faith must be bolstered by an attitude of, uh, an attitude of gratitude. And so with that, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided us with every blessing. And Lord, we know that, that we live in daily need of your graces so that we might live through these times of adversity, calling upon you. And we know that it gives you pleasure when your people make their petitions to you and it pleases you to answer them. And Father, we we bless, we thank you for blessing us and ordering our steps and for protecting us and for leading us into an understanding of the truth of your word. But we also ask that we would never forget the blessings of the time when, when the scales fell from our eyes and we understood the greater context of why we're here in the world. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us at great cost to yourself. 
even by giving the Lord Jesus Christ, whose life had to be given to satisfy the law and to, to make us justified in your sight. And we thank you, Lord, that you gave this gift for us in order for us to be included as your family. And if we're trusting in you, Lord, we rejoice that we're your sons and daughters and that we come to you by saying our father. But we also come to you in Jesus' name because we, we, uh, we come in the name of Christ by whose virtue our, the offense of our sin was satisfied. And so we thank you for these things. Please, Lord, we pray that day by day we would not become complacent and we would not slip into this error and sin of, of being ungrateful. And so, Lord, to, we ask that you impact our hearts with this. And as we go from this place, that it would be a daily reminder for us to acknowledge everything that you give in such abundance. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.